Welcome to the first edition of Puck Talk Zoom meeting style. My guest today is Corey Crenshaw, co-host of the Corey Ritchie Show. She's used to be a part of the Diamondbacks television crew. She is a Arizona State alum. Corey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing well. I'm hanging in there. I'm finally glad that we have some hockey to talk about. I uh, took a sledgehammer to the Arizona smash car out uh, out here in Nashville today. So, yeah, I'm geared up. I'm ready to go. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of cooped up anger that you guys are holding in there, <laughs> that during a pandemic, you still have to go out and smash a car. Well, yeah, I, I, I am just so angsty. I just, I've just been like hockey, 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 hockey. When's hockey coming back? So finally, hockey's back. We can finally talk about something. And we have two games that we want to talk about that happened yesterday between the Nashville Predators and the Dallas Stars and the Arizona Coyotes and the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, the Golden Knights beat the Coyotes 41. So I just got to know, what went wrong against the Golden Knights for, for Arizona? Well, per fashion of the Coyotes, every time we are excited for something, they have to give us some type of worry. So, of course, they went wrong in the fashion that it started out the first six minutes, kind of like the Predators um, game as well. The first six minutes were great. There was absolutely no shots on goal against them. So that's that was one of the things that we were worried about watching Preds game was the fact that they started out extremely strong in those first six minutes as well. Um, so that was really nice to see, and I was – it was it was like five and change for the Coyotes, so um, I was really happy to see that until that point where the first shot on goal came, it slowly started to go downhill from there. Um, per usual, the Coyotes' power play was absolutely atrocious and um, gave up a, um, a shorthanded goal, and that was basically where it started to go downhill from there. Um, one of their biggest issues is the fact that once – they kind of start rolling down the hill. They can't really grab onto anything to stop themselves from falling down. So once they started falling, it was hard to get them back. Um, my biggest concern during that game was just being able to see something good out of them during the third period. If I saw something that was promising to go into the series, and it did once they came back into that third period. And um, I, I think after you look at like all the stats and everything, I think at least a full period of that game was played special teams because of the fact that there were that many penalties. I have no idea why there were that many penalties called in an exhibition game. Um, that is beyond me that I guess the refs need to get practice on their um, penalty calling as well. But they, uh, it was nice in the fact that that was one of the Coyotes' um, biggest issues, but it was also a pain because we had to sit through that much of Coyote special teams. Well, you know, uh, Nashville fans are certainly not immune to power play struggles, so we empathize with you there. Um, one, uh, one, one particular play that I, I didn't really like was when Ryan Reeves took a cheap shot um, on um, – uh, good Lord, I'm blanking. Who, who did he take a cheap shot on? He took a cheap shot on uh, Nick Schmaltz. Schmaltz, yeah. He he got replaced uh, later by Barrett Hayton, who's only played about 20 games this season. He was, um, he's he's new into the NHL, so that's why they've only had him. He's a very young kid, and he was actually, the last time the Coyotes were in the playoffs, uh, he was 11. So if that gives you any type of... (laughs) 
think Kyle Turris was still with uh, the Coyotes, and they were called the Phoenix Coyotes at that point. Yeah, well, that's what, behind my head um, would be it, and they are wow. the Phoenix Coyotes. So, <laughs> yep. That is awesome. Yeah, so. I, I don't know. I had a I had a serious problem with that because – you know, teams that were losing, it appeared just started taking cheap shots all over, and I, I didn't really like that at all. Um, I this is gonna. Well, surprise. I mean, you guys played Dallas, so Dallas is very used to. They are a very heavy team, and they are very chippy. So as soon as they start losing, they will start coming for blood just for the fun of it. Well, heavy and chippy are very liberal terms in terms of how the Dallas Stars play. But, no, um, you know, Taylor Hall nets that power play goal. Ekman Larson gets the secondary assist. Uh, we missed out on some Phil the Thrill Kessel, Phil the Thrill hot dog eating Kessel. Fun Phil to Phil. <laughs> I don't know. Phil Kessel, he, uh, he missed the score sheet against the exhibition game. But out of those three players, who do you see has uh, the best series against Nashville Hall Larson or Castle Hall was the only one I really enjoyed seeing his legs out there I felt like he was going in for the extra effort for most of the game which I mean it's an exhibition game you don't have to put in the effort that you'd put into the playing game for sure but I would have at least liked to see a little bit of extra effort so um, Hall was the only one that looked as good as I wanted him to be um part of Phil Kessel's problem was he was injured and then when he came back he had it was mentally kind of messing with him because he was playing through an injury for um, about two-thirds of the season so um, that was a mental issue that he had and he had a great opportunity that was there was an open spot in the net and all he needed to do was literally just tap in the puck and he completely whiffed on it so um that is not encouraging to see the fact that he is not coming back from those mental issues but um so that is a little bit concerning um Clayton Keller is the one who screwed up on uh allowing for the shorthanded goal so um that also wasn't very encouraging but I would really like to see a lot from all of them, honestly, because they all have the potential. And the thing that I think people a lot of times don't think about with this team is the there are some superstars on this team that everyone would now like, you know, like Taylor Hall and, and uh, Phil Kessel. But the problem is they haven't been producing as much as we would have liked them to. So I don't think people realize that this team hasn't had the luxury of being able to just rely on those players. And so there's a lot lower level players like – Dvorak and Garland who've had to step up step up the season and actually produce so they can produce as well it's just seeing them do that yeah and you know when you look at this roster uh from head to toe you've got like we mentioned Phil Kessel uh Carl Soderberg is a name that I find a little bit interesting uh Ekman Larson you got guy you have very minimal playoff experience at least on this team so is that youth going to drive them to try and win this series or is it, or, or will experience uh, the experienced Nashville Predators have a little bit of a, an advantage? Well, it's, and it's really funny too, that they um, are so young for the most part. And the fact that they have very little um, experience in the playoffs and especially in the fact when you come to someone like Taylor Hall, because of the fact that you would think that Taylor Hall would have, um, 
great experience in the playoffs, but he's only been in the playoffs once in his nine-year career. So that's part of the problem there is you have someone who's very hungry out of him. So I think with him, it's going to be, he's so hungry to show his worth in the fact that, um, you know, this is a contract year for him. So he's just trying to get as much money as he can get. And he's wanting to experience the playoffs as many times as he can in the rest of his years for his career. So um, he'll be very hungry. And Bill Castle, of course, has experience and Derek Stepan as well. But um, you're right, that is going to be one of the issues that this team does have is the fact that they don't have a ton of experience when it comes to playoff hockey. But the one thing that they do very well is they are really good when they are behind and when they are kind of stuck in corners. They like to be the underdogs. They actually have problems when they're not the underdogs because they don't know how to be on top and good, which is very strange to say, but I guess coming from an Arizona sports background here, as soon as they come here, they all just want to be the underdogs, I guess. Well, there's something to be said for the underdogs. So, uh, you know, the Nashville Predators were the definitive underdogs in their 2017 Cup run. So, you know, there's something to be said for just a bunch of young guys who want to who, who want to win that Cup. Um, looking at Darcy Kemper and Anthony Rantha, both had very stellar regular seasons. Both uh, posted above a 920 save average. Both posted. Uh, I believe over 15 wins. So you've got a very balanced and strong goalie duo. Uh, who do you think gets the the, the start on uh, on game one? I actually had um, a, a small argument with a friend of mine who is um, she's big in the goaltending world. Her name's Catherine Silverman. She was arguing with me about how um, she thinks that Ronta should get it and like really likes to favor Ronta on this, but I'm with the majority on Kemper and think that he has, he just has the steady hand and the fact that he did look a little bit shakier than we would have liked him to have looked um, in that exhibition game. But when it comes to mental strength and clarity and the fact of being able to just push through it, and I've said in other situations before that he, the only time I don't see that out of him is against Minnesota, which is his old team. And he has, his own issues with that he's got to get through that and that's when he got injured this year was actually during that game but um so outside of Minnesota he shows a lot of mental strength and he is just very solid when it comes to situations where he's under pressure like this in a playing game so I would definitely start with him but Auntie Ronta still has the capabilities to do it as long as the team is playing in front of him so um it's a blessing um and for once instead of a curse to have a nice um, goalie tandem that we can rely on. But uh, I would definitely start Darcy Kemper. Kemper. Yeah. And um, sort of going off of that goaltending is going to be a major factor in these modified playoffs. Um, but who are some other players that you have your eye on um, just to help really give Arizona that edge that they need to beat an experienced Nashville Predators team? Well, I'm I'm definitely looking at players that haven't produced this year. Like I'm really looking at a player like Clayton Keller in the fact that he needs to step up. He needs to play. Um, the Coyotes were put into a position with a very similar player, uh, Max Domi, and they ended up trading him out. And then when Clayton Keller did basically the exact same thing as him, um, they decided to put him on an extension. 
which to me would scream that you see a difference in him as opposed to Domi, and I don't see a difference other than the fact that once Domi got dealt, he played much better. <laughs> so um, it's very frustrating in the fact that um, Clayton Keller should be playing much better than he is. And in a game like this where the pressure is on, he should be excelling. It's just very difficult with him because he's very – he had a very hot first season and a half and then dropped off and hasn't really found his skate since then. I would love to be able to count on him. I would love to be able to see step on, step up again and do what he was doing before. Nick Schmaltz had a really good um, – everyone – even though it wasn't, like, near Christmas time, it was Mary Schmaltzmiths every single time he would score. So um, <laughs> I would really love for Mary Schmaltzmiths to be back. And he was key on any uh, shootouts that we had in uh, the first half of the season. And then he just kind of dropped off. So it would be really nice to see him and obviously Phil Kessel. Um, I hate to bring up any of like the, the main guys just because of the fact that everyone talks about them, but like, I would really like to see the guys that get paid the good money and are expected to, you know, be the ones that are filled with the thrill to actually <laughs> perform like they're supposed to. Oh, if you only knew how many times we said fill the thrill on the radio show back at uh, the university, it'd blow your mind. I mean, Every time, it's fill the thrill, fill hot dog eating thrill. It's <laughs> you just gotta stumble over it eventually. But um, one player that I have my eye on is Christian Dvorak. Uh, Thirty-eight points in seventy games sort of speaks for itself. I like the fact that he had eighteen goals. Sort of a streaky player, catches fire and then cools off a little bit. Uh, what do you see out of Christian Dvorak going into this series? And it's funny because that's kind of the trend amongst most players in the Coyotes organization is I feel like one of them steps up and the other ones get a little bit lackadaisic and then another one steps up and they kind of play this game with each other. But Dvorak has the ability to really be consistent. You know, I, he has, he was always one of those players that people never really saw his full potential that I think he knew he always had. So in this, he really could be a, I don't think he's going to be a standout where he's doing anything too crazy, but he could be completely consistent and solid throughout this. And it'd be really nice to see from him because he's one that um, I would really like the, well, I kind of, one of my biggest problems with us being on the West Coast is the fact that no one ever gets to watch our games because of the fact that East Coast people are constantly asleep during our games because they're so late. So, um, yeah, we're the players... worst. We're the worst here on the East Coast. Just never tuned it into West. Well, in, in East Central, it literally, maybe once you get a little bit closer, like because we go between Mountain Time and Pacific Time. Mm -hmm. So it really like sometimes when it depends on that too. But luckily, there's only like an hour difference between Mountain and Pacific. So <laughs> at least in there, you get somewhat of a similarity there but like most of the time no one's ever watching these games and so certain players like Dvorak and Berlin never get seen when they do have um, these good streaks in them um, so for them I guess um, I would really like for him to do well and be seen on a national level level for once yeah and um Arizona is one of those teams that notoriously gives the Predators headaches. Just one of those teams that just always seems to have their number. And it doesn't matter 
how good the predators are or how good the coyotes are or vice versa doesn't really matter arizona always seems to have that mental edge against nashville so who do you think that arizona should keep a watchful eye on in terms of who gets hot and who doesn't in this specific series because you know we've seen with pecorine since 2004 he struggled with arizona and they're starting to transition uh, into UC Saros being the number one guy. So is there a specific player that Arizona would like to keep contained on Nashville's roster? Well, um, I would think after uh, Victor Arvidsson showed what he showed um, on Thursday, I would definitely say that is definitely one. Um, I had, I, I never want players to get injured, but when I heard that, uh, I'd seen a tweet. I had seen a tweet that was said basically like, "Is he okay?" And I was like, hmm, "Even if just for one game, it would be a little bit nice, you know." <laughs> it's that it's that little part of you that's just like, "I don't want him to be hurt like really badly." But if he misses like one game, that would be really nice just to start confidence off. Um, because he he had a hot hand, and that that line is a very hot line, and that, that's kind of one of the things that scares me the most. Um, goaltending, I'm not really too worried about when it comes to Nashville, just because of the fact that your goaltending is about as streaky as, um, our forwards are. So it's, it's very, which I mean, works very well matchup wise. So, um, but that would be what really concerns me is the fact that the Coyotes, once they're down, they don't really seem to, it's funny because if they're down early, they will push hard and come back. But if they, say, score a goal in the beginning and then they are down two goals after that and it's where they cut off the momentum really fast, it is very hard for them to come back from that. As soon as they get down on themselves, they cannot really build themselves back up. So I'm just really afraid of that line in particular taking advantage of any changes in momentum and killing them. And because that is going to be a game changer, I feel like, against the Coyotes. Yeah. And uh, one story that I have, I, I, this kind of seemed like a, like a throwaway thing, but the first time I ever got to experience a National Predators locker room, they were playing the Arizona Coyotes. So I'm shadowing uh, Robbie Stanley, the NHL.com correspondent for the Predators, and he has to interview players on both sides. So we went into the Preds locker room and I'm just in shock and awe. And then he takes me over to the Coyotes locker room and there's Oliver Ekman Larson playing in his 500th career NHL game. And it didn't really occur to me until after we had left, like that's Oliver Ekman Larson playing in his 500 <laughs> NHL game. And I'm just so shocked by the Nashville Predators. I'm like, that's an important dude. That's an important dude for, for the Arizona Coyotes. Um, well, I mean, he is our captain now, so. <laughs> yeah. Slightly yeah. important. A slight, slightly, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> um, Corey, sort of shifting gears here. Uh, the political atmosphere surrounding women in sports media is, let's just say, not great. Uh, there are they're just too many stories of women experiencing sexual harassment while just trying to do their jobs. And, you know, there are just way too many stories and way too many examples of this is what shouldn't happen. So, and it is absolutely not on you to educate anyone on how to treat women in sports media, but if there were um, 
just pieces of advice that you wanted to give people uh, that are coming up behind us uh, in the sports media world, uh, you know, what are some ways that men can be better allied to women in sports media? I think it's, it's, what's awesome is the fact that you wanted to ask me this topic in the first place, because, um, you know, a lot of people like to ignore a lot of this stuff and pretend like it's not happening. And I mean, in hockey, um, I haven't experienced it um, as much as I have in um, other sports per se, but it, there is a lot of people when it comes to women that either base them off their looks or base them off the fact that they're a woman, they don't know what they're talking about. I can guarantee you there will be people that listen to this interview right now that are going, why the hell did you bring her on? She is from Arizona and she's a female and she knows nothing. And that is the thing is everyone feels like unless you're an ex player, you know diddly squat and you are only there because you think the players are attractive and and it's like, you know, I would be lying if I told you that we don't see who the attractive ones are in the room. Like everyone always sees that, you know, but it's not like we are going in trying to find our husband who is going to be paying all of our bills. That's not particularly what we want. We want to pay our own bills by doing this as a job. And it's just a fact of like, everyone's following their passion and this is our passion. And, you know, there will be some that are more in it for the wrong reasons and I've ran into those um in my career as well but in the end a lot of it is just you can't always assume that people are going in with bad intentions and I feel like a lot of times um that is the assumption and it is not not nice to tell someone oh you're only here because you want to sleep with our players or you um you know or criticize how they look that day or whatever it is and that is the problem that women face that men just really don't is that they can come into a locker room and I, and I get it, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of times when you're walking into a locker room where it's not the most decent exposure. Um, and, but it's not necessarily that the women want to see that either. Like we would much rather see you clothed because we want to ask you questions, not, um, see you half naked in a locker room. So the, that whole idea, I think, just needs to be somewhat debunked in that, and people kind of need to get used to it. But a lot of it is just the fact of people being, who and my, my co-host Richie, and all of men using their platform to show that women do know what they're talking about, and that you can, you can, they're worth more than just how they look and um what you feel like you can use them for you know they are for they're just like i've always been um the kind of person that's always been kind of like one of the guys type of people and like so for me it's always crazy whenever i hear any of these things because like i've always been such a down-to-earth person to think that that is what anyone would want out of this career is so crazy to me because we put up with so much and go through deal with so much to get to this point so if that was all we wanted i could go out to the bar wear a really skimpy outfit and and get a rich guy i don't really need that so um i just i i think it's great that you um that you brought this up and wanted to give your platform to this because it, it helps just that alone well and it it's it's a moral responsibility to, to, to use your platform wherever you have it because just because 
I am a man, I have inherent privilege that I didn't necessarily ask for, but I sometimes use unintentionally and I didn't, I don't ever mean to do it, but you know, um, with all the stigma around women in sports media, like you said, there's just a lot of somewhat negative intentions, just people trying to chase a bag. And I'm not really, I, 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 I have never experienced that myself because every woman that I've met in this profession has been nothing but professional, nice, um, nothing but uh, serious and dedicated to their work. And I think that that's what gets lost on people is that this is their job. These are their livelihoods. They're not there because, you know, they're living this weird dream of theirs. They're, they're there because they're chasing their dreams and they want to get paid doing it. And that's why I got into this business. I'm chasing a dream and I want to get paid. And, and you know, I, um, th there are a lot of different, I keep saying this, there are a lot of different stigmas around women in sports media. And I just, I wanted to ask this question one more time. What, what can we do? What can we do even on a daily interaction level? You know what I mean? Like, yes, we can use our platform and I can bring you on this show and people can look at me and like, why the hell did you bring her on? But what can we do on a daily interaction level in the locker room, waiting for a presser, just talking with women in sports media? Is there certain things that men can do better? Um, I think always just treating women as an equal and not questioning them. Um, one of the things that drives me insane is when I get like a lot of questions as if I'm trying to prove myself, like, um, you know, um, the other day, it, my co-host and I, and my co-host is a man, so, like, when I was, when we were talking to someone, they, instead of directing the question towards both of us, they directed the question towards me, and I knew it was a target because they were trying to make sure that I knew what I was talking about before the conversation went any further, and that is, like, I don't think um, in those situations, like the things that would be best to do in those is to, you know, kind of just the person that's asking that question, if you're there, you know, just be like, oh, and try and take them out of it, you know, so they don't feel belittled, like they have to feel like they have to prove themselves. And, it, and it's humiliating when you're around like large groups of people, you know, just being able to like stand up for those women and to, if you hear someone saying something like that or accusing them of something or just to be able to stand up for them or just tell them that you appreciate their work or just like even when you asked me to be on this and you were like hey I've been following your stuff and, and you do great stuff I would love to have you on my show like that means a lot to me because it means that you valued what I put out there and nothing else other than the fact that that you think that I'm good at what I do and that is the things that really help and being able to just use your platform too to get more women's voices out there because a lot of times I don't think they get heard they kind of get um put underneath and um and I think a lot of times just standing up for them when it comes to even on like a lot of times social media is a great thing and a terrible thing because a lot of times they get attacked like um obviously um everyone saw a big issue with the coyotes and their GM um John Chica and through that people decided that his sister, who in her own right is very successful and 
um, is big in the analytics community, that she, for some reason, didn't deserve where she was at in her career because of the fact that she was, she's a very pretty woman, that she's, it's because of her looks and her brother was a GM. But since he had an issue in the media that day, it all of a sudden became her problem. So, you know, but the fact that there were as a fair amount of men that were coming back and saying how ridiculous it was and how, and standing up for her was, was beautiful because that those are the things that make a difference in the fact that um, inherently, for some reason, a lot of these um, more misogynistic men believe other men. So if they tell people like, no, she is right. She, um, you know, knows what she's talking about. A lot of times they're a lot less to come back at other men as they are other women. So do you think that if we all start, if all men start behaving in a more respectful manner on a daily level and on a, just on a bigger level than just daily interactions, do you think that we can eliminate the stereotypes about women in sports media? I don't think it'll ever be fully eliminated. Um, I mean, it, there are some old ideas and things that I don't even think um, people think, you know, like, I don't even, I think it just sometimes comes off. Like I, I was one time was called someone's girlfriend. Oh, is your girlfriend showing you around? And it's like, no, no, I'm, I'm my own person doing my own thing. And that's the thing that's frustrating is people, I think, just automatically make these assumptions. So if it's more normalized, I think people won't be going into those automatic um, assumptions, I guess you could say. It changes the mind frame of everything. Um, but I don't think it'll ever fully be eliminated, which is, is, is sad. But I think we're making great strides in the fact that there are so many of us women that have voices now and are finally getting out there. It's just a matter of you know, getting a good community of people behind us to say that we are knowledgeable and we, there's more than just um, a pretty face and the prospect of finding a uh, professional athlete husband. Well, you are remarkably much more knowledgeable about the Arizona Coyotes than I am and about goaltending. So I, I genuinely appreciate your time and, and, and thank you so much for coming on this show and thank you for sharing your insight. It really does go a long way with um, how I understand and how I want to develop and grow. And it also, hopefully someone will watch this and develop their own ideas. But I mean, you, uh, you offered brilliant insight about uh, this upcoming matchup and uh well, hopefully I won't be the more disappointed one at the end of the series. <laughs> oh, if I'm disappointed, I won't be surprised, but I would like to be pleasantly surprised <laughs> on the other end. So we'll see. <laughs> well, Corey, thank you so much for your time. And I, I, I really hope that I get to have you back on. Oh, I'd love to. All righty, folks. Well, that was the first edition of Puck Talk Zoom. We will be back Sometime, uh, assuming I go back to college, we'll, we'll, we'll get back behind the microphone. But until then, uh, I'm Jack Woods. Thanks for tuning in.